Or does anyone recognise these things? That's right, they're termites. Termites, they're wonderful to look at in the bush when you see the mound, so impressive, whether it's up in the tree or on the floor and they can get this high. Uh, but they're terrifying if you've ever had them in your house because they eat wood and they munch away if they get in your house at the frames and the trusses that hold up the walls and roof. And, and so in the end, if left untreated, the whole thing's going to cave in and collapse. Uh, here's a wall that's been wide-anted, might bring back horror stories and memories for some of you. Well, as we continue on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turns our attention to four things that will do that to our relationship with God, that will white-end it out completely so there's nothing substantial left at all, but only a hollow shell that's going to collapse under its own weight or you know, maybe be bulldozed by God. He's been teaching all along what it looks like to be his disciple, to be his followers, and and how in particular we should stand out from the crowd, stand out from the world around us and be different, Uh, be like salt, be like light on a stand rather than light that's been put under a bowl, stand out like a city on a hill, a beacon for all to see, uh, that we might live such good good and different lives that, that people will see it and they'll bring praise to our Father in heaven. And in the four matters he's about to show us, the world has completely been rotted out by them. And he's calling us to be completely different. What are the four things that Jesus says will white ant your relationship with God and make it just a hollow shell? Well, here's the four. Money, stress, being judgmental, and lack of discipline and just wasting all the good stuff. Well, today we're dealing with the first two. Uh, You see them in our reading there in verse 19, it's money. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Or of stress in verse 25, do not worry. Anyone ever have cause to dwell on either of those two things? Of course you do. They're both things that, that many are deeply concerned about at the best of times and even more so now in COVID. And often the two, money and stress, are quite related to each other, as we'll come back to later. And just like every other issue that Jesus has confronted so far in our relationships with each other, in our marriages, in our hatreds and jealousies, in our relationship with God, uh, Jesus says hard stuff, stuff that is challenging and difficult. It's not what our world wants to hear, and it may not be what you want to hear either, and you'll be tempted to fight him on both of these issues, on money and stress. But don't. We need to take what he says to heart. Jesus is the master, and he is absolutely serious This will do untold damage to your relationship. Both money and stress can absolutely white ant, rot out your relationship with God and leave just a hollow shell that will either collapse under its own weight or be targeted for demolition by God in the judgment. And so I want to encourage you now to prepare yourself this afternoon to, to plan to give yourself a spiritual pest inspection to see if there's been any termite activity in any of these two areas in your life that may require radical treatment to remedy uh, and might even require a knockdown and rebuild. So first of all, first termite, money. And what Jesus says about money is shocking, it is stark, it's it's like a bucket of cold water is being tipped over our heads on a cold winter's morning. It's there in verse 24. You cannot serve both God and and money. 
It's impossible. He says, you've got to pick. That is, if you and I are going to have a genuine spirituality, then something's got to give. Now, the word that Jesus uses, which is translated as money in all the different Bibles, is, is actually the word mammon, which is, which is more than just cash. It's more than just money. It, it, it's wealth. It's, it's all your assets. It's all of your earthly treasure. It includes the cash, includes your wallet, includes also your bank accounts, includes your stocks and your share portfolios, your investment portfolio. It includes property, uh, includes borrowings, it, in, it includes all your possessions, your, your car and your artworks, your treasure collections, maybe even the stuff that you have for your hobbies, everything that you've got around there. And he's saying it's quite possible for it to become your God. In fact, mammon came to mean um, money personified as a God and, and, and it, it can be your God. And Jesus is uncompromising. You, it, it can't ha- you can't have both it and God as your God. You, you simply cannot do it. One is going to win over the other, like it or not. But I bet some of you are sitting there thinking, well, uh, I think I can have both as my God. I think I could be mastered by both, and at least I'd like to give it a red-hot try. And so to prove that he's right and to help us to take it to heart, Jesus takes us on a journey to meet three different people. He takes us to meet the Garbo, he takes us to meet the eye doctor, and he takes us to meet the careers advisor. And all of them are going to back Jesus up on this one. So let's meet them all. First one, the Garbo, or you know, the waste management professional, if you want to be, be a bit la-di-da and PC. Let's meet him in verse 19. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What can the garbage collector show us? Well, what could he show you from your own bin recently? You know, what's ended up there? The the brand new $30 uh, sports drink bottle that was chewed by you you annoying dog that just eats everything? (laughs) Or, or the Wedgwood plate that your daughter thought she could clean with a broom off the shelf and uh, it's in pieces now. Uh, here's a picture of Lucas Heights tip. Now that Glenfield's all full up, everything ends up there. Or here's a car wrecking yard. Uh, we put great store in our cars, don't we? Uh, they're either the most expensive or the second most expensive asset that we'll ever earn, depending on whether you're going to have property or not. Uh, Anyone identify the cars that are there in this particular wrecking yard? Uh, there's a there's a Ferrari Testarossa, there's a Porsche 911, I reckon. There's it's all going to end up as just a sort of two foot by four foot cube of junk, metal compressed. Think about it logically, says Jesus. If we lay up all our capital wealth on here on earth, what's eventually going to happen to it? Well, it's all just going to decompose. It's going to fall apart, rust out, or, or possibly be stolen like my motorbike was just this weekend. Uh, knocked off from the driveway of the rectory. Uh, luckily, it was already broken and unrideable, so no great loss. Nothing is going to last. And, and if that's the case, why would you spend your life pursuing more and more stuff and storing up that kind of treasure, especially when 
there's another sort, an eternal treasure, one that will not rust or be destroyed by moss or stolen. That's the garbage collector. The second person Jesus takes us to visit is the eye doctor. What does the optometrist have to say to us? Well, it's in verse 22. He says, the lamp, sorry, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? What does Jesus mean? Uh, and what's it got to do with money? How would an eye specialist help you with that? Well, a window lets in light so the whole room is lit up and bright and so you can see. You get up early in the morning, but the, the curtains and the blinds are still closed and you, you, know, you stumble over the dirty washing that's still on your floor on your way to the bathroom. Uh, but you draw the curtains back and, and the hazy gloom is just gone. It's dispelled as this bright light comes shining in. Well, he says our eyes are, are like a window letting light shine into our lives, into our souls. And, and the word healthy uses is actually the word single. So the eye is the lamp of the body. Then if your eye is single, then your whole body will be full of light. That is, he's saying if, if our eye is focused exclusively on what really matters, on the living God, on the Lord Jesus, on, the, on purity, on truth, on love, on goodness, that it's focused on that, then your whole body, your whole life will be full of light. But if our eye is bad, that is, if it's not single, if your eyes are always wandering all over the place and, and never focusing on the one who matters, if we've got double vision from always looking at what the neighbours have or reading the magazines or going through all the Audi specials each week, then we're going to be distracted and we're going to stumble as, as you start to compromise everything and, and, and it drives you and you start to do whatever it takes to, to be able to get it. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. People eager, he says as he goes on, people eager for more and more stuff end up shipwrecking their faith white anted out completely, rotted down to the core. Now you might be wondering then, is, is Jesus asking us therefore to sell up everything and just give it all away and, and move into a yurt or up to Nimbin or into a kibbutz, you know, start a commune somewhere and live on mung beans and nettle soup? Is that what he wants? No, not necessarily. But as the, the, my eye is single, as it's focused on the creator of the universe, on our Father in heaven, light will stream into my life and I'll start to know how to live in this complex 21st century world. I'll see what choices to make and, and, and I'll see what things matter and, and what things really don't matter. And, I, and I'll come, certainly start to loosen my grip on my money and my possessions and my home and I might even start to understand and to treat them as if they are God's tools and gifts given to me for his kingdom and glory rather than being for me and my own kingdom and glory. But there's a third person that Jesus takes us to meet. 
and it's the careers advisor. What does job seeker have to tell us? Well, verse 24. See it there? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God and mammon. Choose your employer carefully, says Jesus. And the idea is the idea of slavery. The word master that he used there is, is, is the word for a slave owner. He's not thinking about modern day employees and employment practices. Modern day employees have discretional time and they're in control of their lives and do what they want with their free time and their money and, and, uh, they can switch jobs anytime they want to. Uh, no, the master had total control over his slave. And Jesus says you cannot be the slave, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Oh, lots of people think that they can do both. They, they think they can serve God on Sundays but mammon during the week or that they could serve God with their lips but with their hearts they serve mammon. But only one of them is the true master. And if it's not God who's your God, then it's an idol. It's a false God that, that may well promise the world, which money does, but it cannot deliver because the garbage man is always going to collect. If you met up with the spiritual careers advisor this afternoon, who would they say you're working for? If they did their assessment, who would they conclude is in control? Who are you serving? What are you serving? Is it God alone? Or, or is it your wallet? Is it your house? Is it your bank balance? Is it all your stuff? Have your money and your possessions wide-handed out your relationship with God so that all you've got left is just this crumbling facade that's all coming down? Now, there is a cure. There is a remedy. Maybe there's even a prevention if the time termites haven't hit you yet. But before we come to the cure and the remedy, so, uh, let's have a look at the second spiritual termite that Jesus points out, which, which will well and truly wreck your faith. The second one is worry and stress. Now, obviously, as I said before, those two subjects might be well connected because, you know, if Jesus is telling me not to focus on money and getting more stuff, how, how am I going to live? Right? How, how am I going to make my mortgage repayments? You know, if I am not just concentrating on that all the time, how will I provide for my family? And, and lots of families, particularly ones in breakdown or in distress, they will often list money as the big stress factor which has led to their fighting and the disintegration and maybe marriage breakdown. But there are other sources of stress and anxiety, aren't there? Uh, health, you know, particularly at the moment, lots of people are stressed about getting sick and dying and loneliness, fitting in, and so we cave into peer pressure. Uh, we certainly worry about our children, don't we, whether they're our own children or our nieces and nephews. Or our grandkids, you know, are they achieving? Are they happy? Are they safe? Are, are they being led astray by friends and the internet? Uh, we might be worried, you know, why did God create teenagers? You know, couldn't he just make them go straight from eight-year-olds to 20-year-olds and skip all those horror years? But Jesus comes along and, and he warns us about worry, stress and anxiety. And not because of the effects 
on our blood pressure or on our heart rates, which might be bad, but because he says they're so fundamentally damaging to our faith. They, they rot out your faith. They white ant your relationship with God. And it may well be that this is a passage that you need to go away today and to memorize it. Uh, if it's not the first part about God and money, then it'll be this part. You need to go away, take it to heart, memorize what it says. You've got to listen to the master as he speaks. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. And don't worry about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Maybe you've even said that kind of thing to others in moments of great loss or when something's broken. You know, don't worry, there's more to life than that person or there's more to life than that thing. You know, you'll get it, there's more fish in the sea. Maybe it's something you'd like to say to me. Cheer up, Joe, it's just a motor scooter. It wasn't even a real motorbike. (laughs) And there's more to life than old rust buckets like that. But how often do we remind ourselves of the truth of it? How often do we spend time convincing ourselves that that is right, that there is more to life than than worrying about that stuff. And to deal with the, in this particular spiritual termite, doesn't, Jesus doesn't take us to visit three people. What he does is give us three exercises to do. Three exercises, which if we do them, will establish our faith and, and grow us, grow us strong and firm in our faith, in our relationship with God. And you can see that's what his aim is in verse 30. You see it there? If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? Or again in verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. You see there? For Jesus, stress, uh, our stress is, is a direct result of, of spiritual immaturity. The, the pagans panic because they don't have a father in heaven they can rely on solidly. The secularists are stressed because they have no living relationship with the living God, the God who cares. The atheist is anxious because he's rejected the king of heaven and earth. And so it's absolutely no surprise to me that as a society that's hell-bent on secularism and pushing God out of the public eye and, and pushing him out altogether if they could, um, that, that our society with all of its wealth and all of its healthcare system, which is the best the world has ever had, we've got the longest life expectancies that has ever been the case, with all the stuff that we have and all the people around us that we can know and turn to, yet we have the highest levels of stress, anxiety, depression, suicide in the history of the world. It's no surprise to me because we've abandoned God and we've walked away. And Jesus is assuring us that that the more we trust the living God and cast all our cares and anxieties on him, the less we're going to be anxious. And so he gives us these three exercises which uh, would be absolutely worth planning to do this afternoon uh, and do them regularly, plan for them in your life, put them in your diary. First exercise then, get out your binoculars and go bird watching. It's there in verse 26. 
Jesus says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they? And so whether you go to the bush this afternoon or just tune in to David Attenborough to see the birds, do you believe that God sustains them and that they don't need to hoard and store up? Whether it's the minor birds who've migrated from India or the native rosellas and cockatoos or the, the pigeons that terrorise MacArthur Square or the albatrosses that are going on thousands of miles of migration internationally every year, understand that they're all looked after by the Heavenly Father. He knows each one of them. He cares for them. And, and yet how much more valuable to him are you than they are? You're infinitely more valuable to God. You think of your pet lorikeet at home or at the neighbour's house or the fish in the tank or if you're the Mayfields or what's the turtles that you own. How much more important to you is your child than your goldfish? Right? You get sad if the goldfish gets sick and dies, but you go buy another one. You lose a child and how much more important you are to God than the birds who manage to travel thousands of miles safely on migration each winter. You who are made in his image, are you a pagan or are you a Christian? If you're a pagan, you've got something to be anxious about. You've got a lot to be anxious about and there is no relief. Right? Second exercise Jesus gives us, Consider your life expectancy. Google it maybe, verse 27. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? The experts suggest that the average life expectancy of a Sydney resident is 82.4 years, unless you live in the North Shore and then it's about 85 years. Uh, but however solidly they figure that out, you cannot add one single hour to your life by worrying about it. You might shorten your life by worrying about it as you stress out and have a heart attack, but you certainly can't lengthen it. God knows when the time is for you to be taken and he will take you. Or if you look at the footnote, Jesus might well have added, and it's in some of the manuscripts, or who can add a cubit to their height by worrying about it. Ever frustrated that you're too short and, you know, all those tall people who can reach the top shelf of the fridge, you know, when some, you know, I can't even get to the bottom one. Yeah, uh, you're frustrated and you wish you were taller, but you can't by worrying about it add even a few centimetres if you want. Imagine if you could though. Imagine if you just stressed out a bit about your height and, and suddenly your legs just shoot out. And, and suddenly you're now Jason Craig and you're bumping your head on the top of door frames. You've got something else to worry about then. <laughs> but it won't happen, will it? Worrying about it won't change anything. So why do it? That's Jesus' point. And finally, he gives us a third exercise. See it there? He says, smell the roses. Or at least go look at them. It's in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labour or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendour was adorned like one of these. 
if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? Now, my roses aren't budding just yet, or I'd have brought some over to show you, but, but here's some pictures of wildflowers instead. And, and don't forget, this is the Middle East. These happen to be Middle Eastern wildflowers. Um, the wildflowers there just grow up uh, and, and they spring up, but they might only last for 24 hours or a week, and, and then they're gone. And yet so beautiful, even though it's so fleeting. The grasses, the, the lilies. And Solomon, who who in his day made silver the same price as stone because of its sheer abundance throughout Israel. Solomon and all of his finery, he wasn't anything like as beautifully dressed as one of those lilies of the field. They're gorgeous. If God knows how to clothe them, how much more will he clothe you? Now just think back to what Jesus was teaching you know, in our last sermon, although only five minutes before in his sermon on the mountain, about prayer and about true spirituality. We, we don't pray in order to impress people with big words or with many words. We don't pray to show how religious we are. We, we simply come to our heavenly father and ask. Right? It's, it's a relationship with God, with God, who is the Lord of the universe. He is the creator. He is the ruler of all things, and yet we know him as our father, our father in heaven. And he's not just our father because he brought us into being in the first place, but but he's our father in that he's got constant provision for us. He looks after us like any good dad should. And what are we asking for? What does Jesus tell us to ask him for? Well, we ask him to honour his own name. We ask him for his will to be done and if we're worried about what he wants to be done, then, well, he will do what's right. We ask for his heavenly reign to be seen and felt on earth as it is in heaven. But he says we can also entrust to him our our daily provision, put that in his hands, both our material and our spiritual position. You know, give us today our daily bread, give us what we need to be sustained and, and forgive us our sins. That's the spiritual vision. And he goes on, and help us to flee from evil. If you pray that prayer, genuinely pray that prayer, not not just by rote because you thought that might impress him. If If you pray that prayer and cast your anxieties on him, he's alive, he's listening, he cares, and he will answer. And if you know that he's real and and you know that he's able because he's God to do immeasurably more than we ask, and, and and we know also that he cares for us more than we can even know, well, well, that's got to bring relief, doesn't it? Why stress when you can pray, our Father in heaven, your will be done, you know, your kingdom come. And what if I don't get that promotion that, I think that I need and I've I've begged him to give me. Could it just be that the Lord Jesus has a different level of financial resource for me in the next phase of my life, that he's got work for me to do in another capacity? Our Father in heaven, your will be done. 
What if my, I don't get the clean bill of health that I was hoping for and expecting and I get the diagnosis that I was fearing? Well, could it be in his good and perfect sovereign purposes before he takes me to be with him that, that God's got lessons for me to learn and for my loved ones to learn and, and to think work for me to do in my ill health? You think of Rhonda Caton, uh, who struggled with cancer for years and years, but who was such an incredible witness, partly because of that, and the way she responded and trusted God, and she brought such great blessing to many others and pointed them towards Christ, and she saw some come to faith. Blessing to people in our churches. She was a great blessing to people in the William Carey school community uh, and, and throughout the neighborhood as well. And, and who was taken in joy in the end to be with her heavenly father when she died. And, and what if my children don't pass those exams and get the grades that I'd hope for them and maybe they'd hope for themselves? Well, could it be that the Lord wants my children to be waste disposable professionals, uh, you know, the garbos or perhaps factory workers and to bump into somebody that they're going to share the gospel with who's going to give their life to Jesus. He might have a completely different purpose for my life altogether than what I want and what I've been asking for and working towards. The question that Jesus is asking is, are you a Christian or are you a pagan? It's the godless Gentiles who eagerly seek these things and are stressed out and filled with anxiety and with good reason. The atheist ones, well, they don't have a God. They have no hope. All they've got is what's around them and so if it's not being provided, well, they got to worry and stress about it. You know, or the ones who have false gods and false religions that are believing in lies, those kind of pagan Gentiles, well, that they've got something to worry about because deep down they know that they're not real gods. They're fakes. They might pretend to themselves and lie to themselves and sear over their consciences, but they've got something to worry about. They've got good reasons. And yet your heavenly father, if you know Jesus Christ, he knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need. You can trust him. He will not only provides every day for the smallest creatures of the earth, but who in his love gave his son Jesus to die on a cross for you, to bear your punishment, to bring you reconciliation and forgiveness and bring you back into his family. Can you not trust him? Of course you can. So what's the alternative to being wide-handed in both cases? What's the cure? What's the remedy to stress, but also to money, the remedy to a love of money, but also to anxiety. It's the same thing in both cases. I was expressed slightly differently. Verse 19, verse 20, sorry. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where you put your treasure will govern everything about your heart and your interests, but also your stress and anxieties, we'll see, because verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things, food, clothing, whatever it will be, will be provided for you. 
What is Jesus calling us to? What does he mean? What He's calling us to be radical, isn't he? He's calling us to store up our treasure in heaven and, and to seek first his kingdom. And both of them are about letting Jesus be king, letting him rule. It's to set him apart as first in your life, to, to put him in pole position, to stop running from God, to, to acknowledge Jesus as, as your king, that he calls the shots. Unchallenged, first place, top spot on the podium. You want to grow in faith? You want to not be mastered by stuff that's only going to fade and break or be stolen? You want to bust your stress? Seek first Jesus' kingdom. Store up your treasure in heaven. And if we do that, imagine, well, we will certainly stand out and be different. Salt. Light on a stand. A city on a hill. Not at all like the stressed out, pill-popping materialists that we're surrounded by but instead confident, trusting, generous, open-handed and warmly offering life and hope in our Saviour, might it just be that they will see the difference and they'll be caused to wonder and they might well come to praise our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, these are hard words that we don't like hearing because we love money and some of us are stressed out and we don't know how to rely on you and uh, we want to blame all kinds of other things rather than in our own relationship with you. And so, Father, we pray that you would build our faith, help us to see the specialists and to have the uh, do the exercises that are going to cause us to Uh, get rid of the termites that have infested our spiritual lives. We pray, please, that we wouldn't rot out, that we wouldn't be wide-ended in our faith, but you might help us to put uh, our, our possessions and our stress in its place as second, that you would be our master. And we pray, please, that you'd teach us to trust you and rely on you to provide all things, that we might understand that you know what we need, that you are our Heavenly Father, You can do greater things more immeasurably than we can ask or hope for, but also you'll give us what we need to grow as your disciples and to trust you. And so when things don't turn out the way that we're hoping for, when we're facing uh, problems and sickness and things are happening in our family life or in our finances, help us to know that you are in control and help us to cast our cares on you. And we thank you for your promise that your peace will fill our lives. The peace of knowing you and being right with you, of knowing with confidence that whatever happens will be what is planned and what is good for us and what will bring glory to you. And so we ask that we rejoice in wanting to bring glory to you in everything that we do and say and think. Cast care and anxiety from us and help us not to be materialists. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.